Praise the Lord and pass the ammunition. It's time for the Gun Guy TV Podcast. Hi, this is Joel Persinger. I'm the Gun Guy. Thank you very much for listening to the Gun Guy TV podcast and supporting Gun Guy TV in the various different ways you do. Now, there's a couple of subjects I want to go over in this podcast, the first of which is going to cover the first half an hour of the podcast, and that's the question of whether training of some kind should be required for firearms ownership or training should be required to carry a firearm, whether openly or concealed. And then in the second half of the podcast, we'll talk about whether uh, citizens of the United States should be allowed to have military-style weapons that go beyond small arms. In other words, things, well, actually, I guess machine guns are small arms, but let's talk about machine guns, rocket launchers, tanks, and that kind of stuff. Now, that may sound like a ridiculous question, but you'll find out whether it's ridiculous or not in the second half an hour of the podcast, which, of course, is available on Patreon only. But first, Let's deal with that first part, and that covers whether it should be allowed for people to own firearms without having any training. This is a question that comes up a lot. I I think one of the reasons it comes up is because people are afraid of the idea of an untrained person having some tool that could cause harm or kill. And they'll equate it to other types of tools and say, well, you have to have a license to drive your car. You have to have a license to fly a plane. You have to have a license to do X, Y, or Z, whatever dangerous or seemingly dangerous activity is included in that. However, I think where we get get a little messed up is the idea that uh, you need a license for things that are a privilege. And then equating that to a license for something which is a right, there's a big, big difference. Now, that's an argument that sometimes flies and sometimes doesn't. Why should I have to have a license or why should I have to have specific specified training in order to exercise a constitutionally protected right? Do I need to have a certain education level before I can voice my opinion or share my thoughts? Do I need to have studied a certain number of religions before I'm allowed to select the one that I want to follow or that I want to believe or decide that I don't want to believe any and I just assume not have a religion at all? Do I need to have some level of legal education and understand the details of the law before I'm allowed to to assert my right to remain silent? or avail myself of my right to counsel during the questioning uh, involving any criminal investigation. These are all rights enumerated in the Constitution. Do I need to have a specific level of training and education before I exercise any of those? Well, of course not. Then why, the Constitutionalist and Second Amendment advocate will ask, would I need to have training in order to avail myself of my Second Amendment right to have a firearm. All right, now let's pause right there and stop. And perhaps there's some things that we can agree to agree on. For example, I think a a reasonable person, and I hate to use that term because some people will say, well, that's subjective, and it is. But a reasonable person, I think, would agree that if you're going to own a firearm, and particularly if you're going to carry it, that it's a good idea 
to acquire some level of training commensurate with what you plan to do with that firearm, whether it's have it for home protection or carry it on your person on a regular basis or simply go target shooting, in which case you would want to operate it safely. So a responsible gun owner, again, I think a reasonable person would agree that a responsible gun owner would seek some level of training that fits their capability and what they plan to do with the firearm. However, the question still remains, should that gun owner be forced to do so by the government, or should that be the option of the individual who is exercising their constitutional right? Now, I would argue that it should be the option of the person exercising their constitutional right, and before you want to jump up and down and tell me I'm an idiot, let me explain a couple of reasons why I feel that way. First of all, I think if we were to take a statistical slice of the gun owners and the accident rates of various different localities around the country, we would discover that the accident rates are no higher in places where training is not required than they are in places where training is required. So if that's the case, then the training would seem to be uh, unnecessary as, as a requirement because... I think what you'll find is that the majority of gun owners acquire some training of some kind, either because they grew up around firearms and they were taught by their, their parents, or they have friends who shoot and they learn from their friends, or perhaps they served in the military, or perhaps they they, uh, they got some, went out on their own and they took some formal training somewhere. But a lot of folks do get training. As a firearms instructor, I can tell you I am routinely contacted by new gun owners wanting to have some at least elementary training in operating the firearm and storing the firearm and maintaining the firearm in a safe and, uh, and arguably responsible manner. So I think a lot of folks just go after this on their own, but there's going to be a subset who do not. So what do we do with those folks? Do we, do we grab them uh, by the rump and shove them into a class and say, you must sit here for X number of hours and learn this? I don't think so. Let's look at the various different possibilities here. Let's say, for example, you have a, uh, a young person, maybe, maybe a, you know, a person in their 30s or 40s or, or even 50s. They're in reasonably decent shape and they're in a state, whether either because they have a permit or it's a constitutional carry state, they have the legal ability to carry that firearm with them wherever they go. And so they carry that firearm. And in the midst of all of that, some horrible tragedy comes along and that, that licensed or legal carrier of a legal firearm has to draw that firearm and defend themselves. Well, afterwards, when they go to court, is the fact that they didn't have any training or the fact that they did go get training going to affect the decision of the court when it comes to whatever is being decided there? Perhaps they've been sued by the family of the person whom they shot, or they've been sued by the individual they shot because that individual says, yeah, I was committing a crime, but it didn't rise to the level of somebody trying to kill me, or whatever the case might be. Or perhaps there's a criminal investigation. Is the the fact that they didn't go out and get formal training, is that going to come back on them in some fashion? Well, I, I don't know the answer to that question, but I suspect that it probably won't as long as they didn't accidentally harm someone they didn't intend to harm. Now, when that happens, uh, most assuredly, that subject is going to come up in court. 
Now, at the same time, maybe you've got some individual who is infirmed. They're uh, in a, a wheelchair or they're elderly and they're unable to get around. Uh, or whatever the case might be, they're limited in some physical capacity, or maybe, as I said, they're elderly enough that they just can't do it and they can't go attend a four-day handgun class or even a four-hour handgun class and actually exert that level of physical activity and, and really survive it. Well, does that person now no longer have a right to keep and bear arms? When you've got your 75-year-old grandfather or 85-year-old grandfather or 92 a year old grandfather or grandmother who have their complete faculties but physically are ailing and frail? Are they no longer worthy of self-defense? Do we have to say to that individual, you cannot defend yourself because you cannot physically go and complete the training? And oh, by the way, what level of training are we talking about? Do you have to shoot kneeling? Do you have to shoot prone? Okay, well, is the person who is a paraplegic now no longer uh, eligible for self-defense because they can neither kneel nor shoot prone without great difficulty because they're in a wheelchair. They have a physical limitation that perhaps keeps them from doing that. Is the person who suffered from polio as a child who is, uh, is, has great difficulty walking and now, because they're required to train in such a way that the training requires them to move from cover to concealment and move back out from cover to cover and draw their firearm and reload their firearm while on the move, they may not be able to do any of that. And so if that level of training is required in order for them to carry a firearm with them for self-defense on a regular basis, then they're not going to be able to avail themselves of their Second Amendment right to carry a firearm for their own defense. I think these are all valid things to consider because when we start looking at requiring a certain level of training to exercise a constitutional right, we have to be careful not to require so much training that the average person, regardless of their physical capability, uh, might not be able to do it. So, you know, how, who sets that rule? Who sets that boundary? Who says this is sufficient training and this is not sufficient training? Well, the truth is it's generally some politician or bureaucrat, and then that's going to disenfranchise an awful lot of people, leave a lot of people out. Now, we'll talk more about this in just a minute. If you would like to support Gun Guy TV, I urge you to do that. There are several different ways that you can do so. You can obviously support us on Patreon. We'd love that if you did that, because that also avails you of the second half an hour of this podcast in which we're going to talk about uh, whether you should be allowed to have a bazooka tank or whatever, which may seem absurd, but nevertheless, we're going to talk about it anyway. And we talk about a lot of things in that second portion that isn't syndicated for free public a consumption. You have to be a member of Patreon to get to it. There's also a podcast I do as a video podcast on the 1st and the 15th of every month, which is also available only on Patreon. So there's some reasons why you might go do that. But there are other ways too. I urge you to check the links. Uh, you can support us several different ways. Keep in mind, we are uh, pretty much supported by you. And that's what keeps Gun Guy TV going. So in order to keep it alive, we can certainly use your help. You're listening to the Gun Guy TV podcast. Please pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Now, beyond the simple 
uh, logic that <laughs> I hope it's simple anyway, that I have laid out here. One is that this is a constitutionally protected right. It's a natural right to defend yourself and have the tools with which to do that, whether that means you're defending yourself and your family against a criminal or whether you're defending yourself and your family against a tyrannical government, which is essentially a governmental criminal. One way or the other, you're defending yourself against criminal activity. And that is what the founders of the country wanted us to have, was the ability to do that. And in order to do that, you must have tools that are capable of doing that in your hands. Well, that means that unlike a police department, which might have a physical requirement you have to pass in order to be a police officer, or a military organization, whether that's the organized governmental militia of the state or the United States military or whatever the case might be, they obviously have some physical limitations. Uh, and say, well, no, you have to be in this kind of physical shape in order to do that. Citizens, on the other hand, are not trying to become a police officer or trying to join the U.S. military or the National Guard or whatever the case. If they just want to exercise their Second Amendment right, they're not trying to do any of that. All they're trying to do is defend themselves and their family, or if they'd like to have a firearm for other purposes. Perhaps they'd like to go shoot in competition or they'd like to go hunting or whatever. When we start requiring them to maintain a certain level of proficiency with that tool, then the right ceases to be a right and starts to be a privilege that can only be exercised if and when you meet certain governmental requirements that then avail you of the ability to exercise that privilege. When the time comes that we start allowing the Second Amendment to be whittled down to a privilege, which, frankly, we already have in a lot of areas of the country, we are starting to lose a lot of ground, and I would say that we've already lost that right. In the state of California, for example, it is not a right to own a firearm. It's a privilege. It is not a right to carry a firearm on your person. It is a privilege. Because without the permission of the government, you cannot own or possess or carry that firearm. You can't buy a firearm in the state of California unless you purchase, unless you have the little firearm safety card, which used to be called a handgun safety certificate. And unless you have that little card because you took the little 30 question or 40 question test or whatever it is, and you demonstrated in, in, in front of the Department of Justice instructor at your local gun shop that you can load and unload the firearm safely, you cannot buy that gun. Now, it's not a stringent requirement, but the point is it's a requirement. You have to meet that governmental threshold or you cannot purchase the firearm. And if you can't purchase the firearm, then guess what? You have a great deal of difficulty owning something that you cannot buy. Likewise, in California, unless you go through a stringent background check, a required level of training, which I think in California is a minimum of eight hours and a maximum of 16 hours of training, and a range qualification, you cannot carry a firearm with you for your own personal defense. Now, someone will say, and it's been said to me, well, yeah, but you know, if you're not trained, you could hurt other people. 
if you tried to defend yourself in a public place and you're carrying a gun and you're not trained, you could, I mean, you just might accidentally miss the bad guy and you could shoot some poor innocent individual who happens to be there. All right. Well, that, that might be true. I, I'm not going to argue that that couldn't happen because it most assuredly could. However, if we talk about this, we, you will find the press will say this often, and many people will say that police officers, by virtue of the fact that they're police officers and they've had training in the academy, whatever that may be, and they've had firearms training, they are experts, and I'm doing little quotations with my hands here, they are experts with firearms. Well, now look, <laughs> I've been on the range with a lot of police officers. I've had police officers in my classes. And I can tell you that in many instances, I've had police officers qualifying on my range that if I were standing down range and they were shooting at me, as long as I don't move, I'm perfectly safe. If I, if I shift one side or the other, I might walk into one of their errant misses because they aren't experts with firearms, many of them. This is why Police officers have such a woefully low hit rate during officer-involved shootings. I've heard statistics of 20 to 30% hit rates. That means if an officer fires 10 rounds, two or three are likely to hit the bad guy. All right, now we have to ask the logical question, where did the other eight go? Well, I'll tell you where the other eight went. They went past the bad guy, and they went downrange somewhere. And in some cases, they do hit bystanders. As far as I know, it doesn't happen a lot, but it does happen. Very recently, I couldn't find the news story, but it was interesting. I heard it on the news on the radio while I was on the way to the range to go teach. Apparently, two police officers who got themselves into a circular firing squad, they approached a, sus a, a suspect that they apparently wanted to talk to or felt was armed or whatever. And they did so in such a way that they were on either side of the suspect. So when they faced the suspect, they were literally facing each other as well with the suspect in the middle. And apparently they had their duty sidearms out and ordered the suspect to do this, that, or the other. The suspect drew a weapon of some sort, caused the officers to feel threatened. So they both fired. And yes, as far as I, I know, they at least one or both of them hit the suspect. <laughs> they also shot each other in the leg. Okay, now wait a minute. Officers are not taught to shoot at legs. They're taught to shoot center mass, the center of the body, and that's because that's the biggest and easiest target to hit. That's what they're taught to shoot at is center mass, the center of the body. And if they're excited and they jerk the trigger, they fire low. So both of these officers, not tons of yards, but actually probably feet from the suspect on either side, shoot at the suspect. They do manage to hit him, but they also manage to hit each other in the leg. So what does that tell you? That tells you that they shot a whole bunch of rounds they didn't need to shoot, and in the process, they were jerking the trigger and spraying and praying and inadvertently shot each other. Well, first of all, if you're a firearms expert, quote-unquote, you know not to put yourself into a circular firing squad in the first place and not put your partner downrange of you. There are better ways to do that. Uh, you also know to try to angle yourself wherever possible where you have downrange, some sort of backstop that's going to stop that round in case you miss. 
You also get to the range and you practice under stress so that if you're scared, you don't just jerk the trigger however many times and fire however many rounds you feel that, that the gun has in it and hit whatever you hit with whatever rounds fly. But let's face it, it's a fact. And if you're a cop, I'm not picking on you. It's just a fact. Most cops are not firearms experts, even though in a lot of particularly larger departments, not maybe not so much the smaller ones, in a lot of departments, they receive, you know, a, a fairly decent amount of firearms training. Oftentimes officers just spray and pray and the rounds go wherever. And that's why you have that woefully terrible statistic that they're, they're missing 75 uh, to 80% of the time. That's, that's pretty bad. And that launches a lot of rounds down range that hurt a lot of people. Now, I want to make sure that you do know about one sponsor that we have for Gun Guy TV, and that's Practical Defense Systems, because that's the company that my wife and I own, and it actually funds the majority of what Gun Guy TV does, both on YouTube and other video platforms, and also here on the Gun Guy TV audio podcast, because things like hosting the podcast, hosting the videos on, on our website and Vimeo, having the website, uh, syndicating the audio podcast, all of those things cost money in addition to driving back and forth to the range and people will say well you don't have to drive very far well yeah oftentimes i have to drive to yuma which is a two and a half hour drive one way and when you're taking my truck because you got to cart targets out there and other stuff that's about a hundred dollars in fuel round trip so it does cost money to produce these things and that's why we ask for your support so if you are looking for uh, training as a security guard in particular in the state of California, I urge you to check out Practical Defense Systems. You can find us by looking at, you can just Google Practical Defense Systems, or if you like, you can go to pdsclasses.com. That's PDS, like Practical Defense Systems, Paul, David, Sam, followed by the word classes.com, pdsclasses.com for Practical Defense Systems. Saving the Second Amendment, one episode at a time. This is the Gun Guy TV Podcast. So I hope in the process of this, I've dispelled some of the argument for required training. First of all, uh, it's a right, not a privilege, to have a firearm. And frankly, the right is to keep and bear a firearm, that is to have it with you for your personal defense uh, ready to use for that purpose. That's a right. It is not a privilege. And so as a right, it really isn't appropriate for the government to place restrictions on your rights and disenfranchise you by requiring a level of training. Now, I've said as a firearms instructor, I think training is extremely important and a responsible gun owner would go seek it but that it shouldn't be a governmental requirement. Now, we've also talked about the fact that some folks, because they may have physical limitations or they may be elderly or whatever, they may not be able to meet the government requirements for training, and they should not be told because they're 85 or 87 or something along those lines that they're not uh, suitable to defend. They no longer have a right to defend themselves. Arguably, people who are physically they have physical difficulties or they're handicapped or they're elderly, well, they actually have an increased need for a firearm because they're not young and strong and capable of, of fighting off a, a stronger, younger, and more determined attacker. And then lastly, we've, we've also talked about training and whether it actually accomplishes what we think it accomplishes and how police officers who receive 
actually quite a bit of training, and in many cases much more training than most civilians, seem to miss the overwhelming majority of the time when faced with self-defense or, uh, or law enforcement type shooting incidents. But there is one more thing that we should address, and that is this, cost. First of all, purchasing a firearm is not an inexpensive proposition most of the time. You have to save up your money to do it. That's expensive to begin with. And then ammunition is expensive. And in California, they make it harder and harder and harder to avail you your, yourself of your Second Amendment right by raising the taxes on firearms and ammunition. Other states do that too. So now we, we look at someone who perhaps lives in a bad neighborhood or they live in a lower socioeconomic area. They'd like to have a firearm to defend themselves. They have to save up the money to buy the firearm, save up the money to pay for the background check, save up the money to, to buy the ammunition. And now you want them to go spend money on training. Well, I will tell you that a lot of these training classes don't cost five or 10 bucks. They cost hundreds of dollars. So now you have taken an entire segment of the society and said, I'm sorry, but you're just too broke to be worth saving. You're just too broke to be able to avail yourself of your right to self-defense. You cannot use the most effective tool that is available to you on the planet to defend yourself against criminals and gang members and such, and that is a firearm because you're just too broke to do it. And we've made it artificially more expensive than it ought to have been. And in the process, we've made it impossible for you to avail yourself of that right. When, I, when somebody asks me, should somebody get training? Should a gun owner get training? My universal answer is yes. When they ask me, should training be a requirement for firearms ownership or possession or carry, as a firearms instructor, I want to say yes, because I know that quality professional training helps people tremendously when it comes to the use of firearms, either for self-defense or hunting or any other purpose. And having taught people how to shoot for a very, very long time and having sought professional training myself, not only on an instructor level, but on a personal level and gone to places like Front Sight and so on and, and uh, taken many NRA courses, not just the civilian ones, but also the NRA law enforcement instructor level courses, which are tremendous courses and teach you a ton. Having received an enormous amount of firearms training over the years as, a, as, a, as an NRA USA shooting certified shotgun coach and all these other things that I do, I can tell you that it is, honestly, if you're a responsible gun owner, it's vital that you go get some training. It really is. Because training is what's going to kick in when you're threatened. Training is what you're going to do automatically. When you're trained sufficiently, you will automatically take your finger off the trigger when your sights are no longer on the target. You will automatically keep the gun pointed in a safe direction. You will automatically check to make sure that that firearm is unloaded when you put it back in the safe. You will automatically make sure that that gun stays in the holster when you're carrying it as a concealed carry permit holder, unless such time as you get home and you're putting it away or you have to draw it to defend 
defend yourself. You're not going to take it out and set it on the toilet tank when you're in the public restroom and forget and leave it there and walk away. That's happened many times. And that can happen to anybody. So I'm not being critical. Anybody can do that, including me. You're not going to do any of those things if you practice and are trained sufficiently. You're going to pretty much you're going to relieve yourself of the problem of having negligent discharges for the most part because you've got the or negligent discharges that harm anyone because you always you're always uh, scrupulous about having the gun pointed in a safe direction when you're loading it or unloading it or whatever you're doing. These are all safety things and training things that are very, very important. And if you go to the level of having training that is under stress, using turning targets or shoot, no shoot training and that kind of stuff, decision training and that kind of thing, if you do those kind of things as well, that helps you deal a little bit or prepare a little bit, perhaps, for the additional stress of having to defend yourself so that you'll operate uh, more efficiently and more safely engaging just a threat and not, and you'll reduce your risk of harming people who happen to be downrange. That said, when people ask me if that should be required by law or that should be a requirement for gun owners to, to meet before they can own a gun or carry a gun, my unequivocal answer is no. And I say that without reservation. The answer is no. For all the reasons that I just detailed for you, because the moment you start requiring gun owners to, to have training in order to possess a gun or carry a gun, that is an incredible slippery slope because every year the training requirement will increase and every year the cost of that training will increase. And every time politicians are elected who don't want you to own a gun or do not want you to be able to carry a gun, the requirements are going to become more stringent and more difficult for you to, to achieve in order to have that gun. In fact, if you start allowing that, what will happen is retroactive laws that go back previously and say, well, you may not be buying a gun now, but you probably have them. And if you currently own a gun, you're required to have this training and this license in order to possess that gun, even though you've possessed it for years and years and years. This is the dangerous road we go down when we start allowing more and more government regulation and restriction of a constitutionally protected right. I'll bottom line it for you. Should American citizens be required to have a certain level of training in order to own, possess, or carry a firearm? My answer is no. I'm curious to know what yours is. So do me a favor and leave me some comments, or if you'd like, you can just send me an email. Let me know. You can send me an email always at joel, J-O-E-L, at kbtninc.com. That's joel at kbtninc.com. Now, for the KBTN Inc., if you don't know, uh, if you just think of kick-butt take names, that'll help you. KBTN Incorporated, KBTN Inc., Com. All right. Now, if you're listening on uh, Patreon, stay with me because we're going to continue with the rest of the podcast. If you are listening to the syndicated version, we're going to wrap it up here. And uh, with my great thanks, thank you very much for listening. I'm very grateful that you do. Please tell other people about the podcast so they can subscribe as well. I very much enjoy doing this for you. We're, we're experiencing uh, quite a bit of growth with it, and that is super encouraging. So please tell others about the podcast if you enjoy it. Or maybe send them a link and ask them to listen to it as well. Have a great week. Thank you for listening. Wherever you go, whatever you do, please be safe. You've been listening to the Gun Guy TV podcast. 